I'm going to read some notes that I had. I'm going to try to connect the dots. I, I think the Lord is going to, but we're going to end up in Exodus 19, which is not where I eventually was, was uh, originally was going to go, but y'all just, y'all just hang with me. Uh, so the past couple of weeks, I've been really in an encounter with the Lord that is very difficult to process, has been. But the best language I have for what I've been going through is reorientation, reorientation, and being brought back to my original desire, my original longing and passion. And in this, I feel a clarity about, A, who we are, and B, who the Lord is, that has never been this clear. And today, I want to speak and declare this insight over us, okay? First year, first Sunday of the year. Um, we have been, whether or not you notice it, in revival since May. If you have eyes to see it, you'll know exactly what it has produced. If not, you'll probably think that it was just another season. But I've learned that the first, I'm glad it's a smaller crowd today because I'm, I'm going to be completely honest with y'all. I've learned that one of the first signs of a significant move of God is people being filtered out. Um, and this is all, I say this all in love, but in other words, he removes any leaven before he cooks the dough. And this doesn't mean that those people are bad or anything like that. It doesn't mean that. Um, and it really doesn't even say anything about them personally. It is simply an acknowledgement that when the Lord begins to pour out new wine, any wineskin that refuses the process of becoming new again is out of love, moved out of the path of the new wine so it doesn't burst. The Lord moves what isn't ready for new wine. So for example, for example, this is just, you know, small thing. On April 11th of last year, we had over 100 people at this church for the first time in history. April 11th. I don't, I don't know if y'all were here that day. Olivia preached. I don't know if you remember this. We did baptisms. We had over 100 people at church. Amazing thing. Today, take a look around the room. In an old paradigm of thinking, this would be cause to say something is wrong. In our redeemed paradigm of thinking, it tells me that he's lining us up for a measure of new wine that we could not taste if what we had in April was still what we had today. Now, let me say a couple of things. That does not mean we'll never have 100 people. I believe by the end of this year, this room is going to be pretty full. That's what I believe. And I don't believe that because that's how we're going to view success. I believe that because what the Lord is doing in this room is so contagious, it's going to have to explode. You know, when you blow up a balloon, it gets to a certain point where the balloon has reached such a stretching point that it just pops. We're at the point where the Lord has begun to blow this thing up within. And when it pops, the air within is going to start to flow without. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with that. What I found out in April was there was still a lot of stuff in me that judged success by how big this room was. Let me just be real. That day, I remember the next morning we came in and said, the Lord's doing it. We had 115 people here yesterday. We're, the Lord is moving. 
And I, I knew as the words were coming out of my mouth, I knew this next season was going to be the hardest season I've ever walked through. And it was. And it was. But Yahweh is so kind and patient and loving that he has placed us in a, in a core that has begun to heat up in such a way that now when the Lord brings that back, we're A, going to be ready for it. I'm going to be ready for it. And this room is going to be an expansion of what we already have rather than the crowds coming in to change what we already have. Because that next day, you know what we started saying? We're going to have to have services that fit everybody. Maybe we should get rid of one song. Should we do another service? You see what I'm saying? This is the conversation. We sh what should have happened was us sit down and say, hey, that was amazing. Same thing next week. You know what I'm saying? But, but now we're ready. What also happened, though, in April is Yahweh revealed to me by way of having that my insecurities as a son and a leader. I felt we were successful that day and we were going in the right direction, but not because of the presence, because of the crowd. And we are not people that follow a crowd. We are people who follow the cloud. Over the summer, the Lord both led us into the greatest revelation we've ever been in about his nature and filtered out that which did not have the pliability for this particular outpouring. And again, that is not a knock on anything or anybody. That is simply reality. And I say that because we can never judge what the Lord is doing in the family by way of how many people are here, even though that's what everybody else does. I'm saying this as a leader. I'm saying this because some of you have probably questioned if the Lord is actually moving on the sole basis of how many people are in this room, right? And if you judge Gideon or anybody else by that same standard, Gideon was a failure because he started out with thousands and ended up with 300. Let me help you out again. If you're using that same thing, Jesus was a failure because at one point in his ministry, he had 50,000 people plus following him. And when he rose again and ascended, he had 120 hiding in an upper room. He went from 50,000 to 120 that were questionable. Today, we would say that's a failure. Back then it evangelized the entire known globe in 20 years. I'll take what the 120 had dancing on their heads over the 50,000 who told Jesus he wasn't the Messiah unless he provided food again. I'm not here to provide manna and fish for you every week. I'm here so that you can have an invitation to hear the whisper, eat his flesh and drink his blood, or you'll have no part in him. I, I'm not here for you to have a, a, a good heyday. I'm here so that you can be who you're designed to be. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes that, that means the Lord is going to release things in us that are going to be nothing but a revealing of how out of order or how in order we really are. That's me. That's been my past season, Okay. So we're not people that follow a crowd. We follow a cloud. <clears throat> Everything about who we are by nature is polarizing 
as was everything about who Jesus was. The length, for just an example, the length and the depth of the messages we teach, for example, have become its own screen door. The style of worship we do has become a screen door. The way that we find ourselves counter to the entire Western evangelical American European church has become a screen door. These and others, their built-in protection that Yahweh has given us to both keep the wrong leaven out of the batch of dough and keep us right in the center of our original longing. No. I have a bunch of notes right here that I put a question mark by and I don't feel the grace for it. So maybe one day. In 2022, there is going to be two things going on. This, this is prophetic pastor locking in. You ready? Two things are going to happen this year. There's going to be, number one, the final filtering out. And I'm not, just to be, I'm not talking about people, okay? When I say that, I, what I'm not saying is the Lord's going to send a bunch of people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are things within you and I that the Lord is going to give us the pliability. Excuse me. He's going to give us the responsibility to remove them in order to receive the pliability that we need to receive what is being poured out in the measure that he wants to pour it out in. The final for this year, the Lord is going to ask of you things that he has not asked of you before. And again, I, I'm, I'm not talking about the Lord's going to filter out a bunch of people. What I'm saying is the Lord's going to get down and there, you know, you know, what I'm talk, as I'm saying this, you know what the things are. There's going to be things that the Lord has allowed to stick around on the inside of you for this moment so that you're ready when he comes in for the final, I need that. There's, there's insecurities about things that have happened to you, things that you're walking through now, things that are to come, situations you've been through, whatever. There's things about those things that the Lord has slowly but surely, he hasn't come in and said, I need that. He has said, let me tell you how loving I am. Let me tell you how kind I am. Let me teach you how much you can trust me. Let me teach you how much you can bet that I've got your best interest at heart. Once you're convinced of those, now about that thing. That's, that's what's happening in this year. That, that, that abuse that you have shoved down year after year after year, I'm going to need that. That time that you prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for me to come through, and it seemed like I didn't. And because of that, you don't trust enough to pray anymore. You don't trust enough to pray for anybody else. I'm going to need that. That's, that's what we're walking through. The final filtering out. It doesn't require, listen to this, it doesn't require much stretchability, pliability, for a few ounces of new wine. If you get a few ounces of new wine, it's not going to stretch you that much. But it does require much pliability for a gallon of new wine. And the Lord is going to filter things out in a zealous way in the early parts of this year. Not just mindsets. 
what you do with your time, what you do with your resources, what you do with your relationships, etc., that do not belong. The Lord is coming in love and in jealousy to remove. And here's the warning, though. This is the warning, okay? Though this is a prophetic word about things, you or I clinging too tightly to the thing that the Lord wants to filter out will determine your or my orientation, thus participation in what will be poured out. So if the Lord comes and says, I need that, and all we do is cling tightly to that, it might filter us out at the same time of what the Lord wants to pour out. Doesn't mean the Lord's rejecting you. I'm talking about what the Lord wants to pour out. I'm not talking about salvation right now. I'm talking about a measure of the kingdom that we've never tasted or experienced or thought or heard before. He wants to give us, but in order to do that, we've got to have the pliability that's gonna be required when he begins to pour it out. I mean, some of us had issues when we started talking about the rapture two years ago that we still haven't gotten over. And if that two ounces of wine has stretched us to the point of breaking, you don't want to know what the Lord's going to pour out in this year. You know what I'm saying? And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I mean, some of y'all are not, listen, I'll say this in love. Some of us, let me say that. Some of us are clinging way too tightly to penal substitution atonement theory. Well, brother, what's that? Here's what it is. Isn't it? That God, and again, we'll be sarcastic, which is what it is, that God was bloodthirsty. That's why we have the Old Testament, to show us that God's angry. I'm about to prove that wrong. But God was bloodthirsty. He hated us because we sinned. He hated us particularly because we took a bite of a piece of fruit that wasn't the right piece of fruit and therefore wanted to kill us. But Jesus stepped in and said, wait a minute. If I go and let you kill me instead, will you spare them? And God said, sure. And he killed Jesus and beat the snot out of him. And now, if we keep our wits about us and we do all the right things, we're going to make it into heaven one day and be with that God. Penal substitutionary atonement. Why is that important? Because that is the undergirding of one. of the church in America today. And when you take that away, suddenly 99.99999% of the church in America today starts crumbling. When you remove God hates with God is love, suddenly the church begins to crumble. Praise God. But but what the Lord has been coming after and what he's about to give us a final I need that over is that. Let me just, just, prophetically, let me tell you right now. Like what the Lord wants to do, we'll never know the love of God if somewhere deep down on the inside of us we have a penal substitution atonement theory of the cross. We'll never know it. We'll never know it. The early church did not have a penal substitute. Let me, let me change that. Augustine did. Augustine absolutely did. And Augustine was absolutely wrong. You know what I mean? Y'all, y'all hanging with me? And listen, it's been three weeks, okay? So I, I got, you know. But, but this, this is what he's doing. And let me, let me ask you this. So, so I'm a dad, right? If Veda, if I told Veda, um, and, and I, just, just think of this. If I told Veda, do not eat that strawberry. 
because if you eat it, you'll have food poisoning. And she said, I think I'm going to eat it. It looks fine. And takes a bite of it. Okay? And it made her sick. It did exactly what I told her. She got food poisoning from it. If you eat that, you will surely die. Right? And it made her sick. In the process of her being sick, I said, because you didn't do what I said, I'm going to kill you. Where would I be? Jail. Why? Seriously, why? Because that's not what fathers do. That's called murder. Just th- I mean, just, seriously, just think about this. And yet that's the view of God the Father that 99.999% of the church has. Which is why people stand on the street corner and say, if you don't do this and this and this and this and this, you'll burn forever. How, where's, where's that in Scripture? It's, no, it's the same place where penal substitutionary atonement theory is. Nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Right? What if instead we said Jesus came so that you would know not only, this is the next part, so that you would not only know who the Father was, but Jesus also came so that you would know who you are. And his death was him saying, I'll take all of your darkness on me. Give me all of it. You can reject me. You can kill me. And I will go to the depths of it. But in the depths of the darkness, a light is going to shine. And I'm going to bring you into a party that's going to come by way of you handing me over to die. And you're included. Jesus looked at the people who killed him while he was on the cross and said, Father, forgive them. They have lost their ever-loving mind. They don't know. Right? What if we stood on the corner and instead said, the Father wants to forgive you and bring you home because you just don't know your home? Where's that? Well, that's what Jesus said. Right? But that, that, goes, that does two things. It goes so counter against the American church that even as I'm saying that, something on the inside of most of you is kicking back. I don't know. I don't know. Right? So it does one thing. It completely bucks the system, and it completely fits the story. I heard this this morning. I don't remember who I heard this from, but I heard it from somebody, a theologian this morning, that said the first step to something that changes the culture, the first step to something that changes the culture is for that same thing to be counter the current culture. Martin Luther King Jr. preached a message of freedom and justice, right? Why was that such a world-changing idea? Because the current culture was not that. So he was preaching a message that was counter, so counter-culture that it ended up killing him. But that message gave way to a new culture that originally in its conception was countercultural. Jesus came and preached the kingdom of God is here. The reason that got him killed was because the current culture was that the kingdom of God is somewhere to come. So when Jesus comes and says, nope, it's here and I'm God, 
It was so counterculture that it ended up killing him, and yet that's the very culture you and I call normal today. So the first step for us to bring the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea across the globe is for us to be given a wine that is counter the current wine of the culture around us. And the first test is if we're going to say, that doesn't fit the culture around us, so it must not be right. That's what the Pharisees did. Or we could be Peter, James, and John and the others who say, where else would we go? Only your words hold the key to eternal life. That, that's the choice that we're going to have to make in this year. That's the choice I had to make. Do you know why, you know why we started this church? It was not to have another church. I, I, I didn't want to have another church. The thought of that makes me want to vomit. I didn't want to have another church. I didn't want to be a superstar. It was amazing. When we first started this church, the amount of people that wanted to market me because I was a big-time worship leader and I wore cool jeans and all that. You know what I'm saying? You, you would not believe the business, the business owners in town that said, we're going to give you $1,000 if, if you do this and let us produce T-shirts for you and let us do this and let us do this. And you know what I said? Of course. Heck No. I'd rather have nobody. You know what I'm saying? But you're included too. You know? But it, it, unbelievable. But we've got, we've, just, we've got this mindset, and every one of them laughed in my face. Every one of them laughed in my face when I said, no, I think I just want a house this is. I want a place where he can rest, and anybody who wants to come to that, they're welcome. Well, bro, you're not going to make that. And, literally, and I, I remember telling one who owns a medical, well, I won't say what company, it doesn't matter. But I remember sitting in the office with him, and I said, if that doesn't work, Columbia's in big trouble, number one. And number two, I don't want it anyway. And I'll wipe the dust off my feet. I'll drive 10 miles down the road to Orange, or 30 miles down the road to Orangeburg to a bunch of people out in the country, and we'll pack out a warehouse every single night. But if the city of Columbia only wants to have fog and haze, then I ain't the one for them. That's what I told the Lord when we started this. If Columbia wants to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then Jordan and I will sell the farm. We ran our savings to the... I took out my entire retirement and still haven't filled it back up. And you know what my retirement paid for? The first trailer that we had. I'm not saying that to say anything about me. I'm telling you... I'm. I, I'm, not pre, I'm not preaching this stuff because it's, it's going it's to you know, fill this room. I'm preaching this stuff because it is going to fill this room. It's going to fill the room with the Lord, what you and I are designed for. And when that begins to happen, it's going to start filling the room with sons and daughters who said, I didn't know the Lord was present in a place in Columbia until now. And again, that's not a knock on anybody. I don't even know if this is live stream right now. Hopefully not. All right. <clears throat> Where am I? Yahweh will stretch us in every single way in this year like never before. That will be a good thing for those of us with open hands and a bad thing for those of us with closed hands. But after this filtering out or after this filtering through will come a measure of new wine, presence, revelation, and proximity that we have never dreamed of where Yahweh is going to call. Listen, I felt this in my bones as I was writing this. 
where Yahweh is going to call the four corners of the earth and say to his sons and daughters, come home. We're going to be flexible. We're going to follow the cloud in the future. We're, we're abolishing rigidity. What, what, we're, there might be some weeks we have service on Saturday night instead of Sunday. You, j- just, just for the simple reason of getting rid of the rigidity. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, if that's what the cloud wants, right? We may, we may teach on a Sunday and teach on a Tuesday and take the next week to soak in what we've heard. I don't know, but I feel the cloud taking us to a promised land that we have only dreamt of. The Lord has hidden us. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to go to Exodus 19. The Lord has hidden us for four years. For four years. He's hidden me for four years. And he's hidden us because if he gave us what he's about to give us four years ago, it would have killed us, and I would have turned this into what I knew, just another popular church. If the Lord filled that theater down by the state house on day one, we would never be in the measure of presence that we're in today because I would have ruined this. No doubt, no doubt. But he made us insignificant in the eyes of the culture in order to do a significant work within a remnant so that when he begins to exalt the remnant, into an influential place in the culture will influence it to become what we have become, which is sons and daughters of Yahweh. Sons and daughters of Yahweh. The, remember this as I'm about to read this. Okay, I preached this last year. The right thing in the wrong season is what? The wrong thing. That's the right thing in the wrong season is the wrong thing. So what we have not been in is the wrong thing. We've been in the right season. Some of you felt like you have been in the wrong thing. Nope, you've been in the right season. And one day the Lord's gonna release the right thing in the right season. All right. Let me um, make sure I don't have any other notes I want to hit before I go to Exodus 19, because this is all the spontaneous stuff. All right, Um, Exodus 19. Y'all go there. I'm going to read this real, real, real fast, because I got some things I want to point out, and then we'll rock and roll. All right, Exodus 19, verse 1. On the first, so, whoo, good grief, that scared me. Um, But do not fear. On the first, dad joke, on the first day, of the third year, okay? Israelites have come out of Egypt. The Lord set them free from slavery, etc. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out <clears throat> from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain, okay? Same as Mount Horeb, most scholars agree. <clears throat> which is significant if you read the story of, of Elijah, um, as well as Jesus. Then Moses, verse 3, went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, all right, ears to hear right here. This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob. 
and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Okay? Listen. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of, I want you to hear this, this is huge, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Check this verse out. Although the whole world is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Uh, uh-oh, huh? Okay. Here's the other translation of that in the Hebrew. Okay. It simply says, the whole earth is mine, period. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Okay. Really, 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 really huge. <clears throat> These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. We'll, we'll come back to that. Verse 7. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the people. Or excuse me, Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking to you and will always put their trust in you. Okay, spiritual father. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Sound familiar? Because on that day, the third day, the Lord will come down on the mount, or excuse me, on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. Okay? Two things to point out. Number one, he's not saying if they come to the mountain, they'll die. He's saying if they come to the mountain before they're ready, they'll die. Whew. All right. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, washed their clothes, and he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. Now, does that sound familiar? Let me help you out. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, the word for thunder right there is tongue. On the third day, there was tongues and lightning with a thick cloud. Suddenly, there was the sound of a violent burst of wind and tongues as of fire filled the room. Okay. So... Verse 16, third day there were uh, thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Wait till, you, wait till you hear this. This is amazing. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in what? Fire. 
The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. And uh, the other translation is answered him with thunder. There's that word again. Verse 20. The Lord descended to the top of the mountain, Mount Sinai, and called, him, called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priest who approached the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Okay? So right there is an issue of consecration. If they force their way through without the process of consecration, it will end in their demise. Um, okay. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priest and the people must not force, there's that word, their way through to come up to the Lord or he, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and then we have the Ten Commandments. I'm probably going to hit those next week, um, but I'm going to save those for next week. But skip ahead to verse 18 in, in chapter 20. This is after the Ten Commandments. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning, and they heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. And because of that, they stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. And listen to this. And it's so interesting. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance, which means they rejected Moses' call to not be afraid. They stayed at a distance while Moses, with Joshua, approached the thick darkness where God was. This is unreal. Let me point out a few things for you real quick. Number one, the Israelites, all, they, all this generation knew was slavery. Okay? They've been in Egypt for a little over 400 years, according to most modern scholars. Some Jewish rabbis want to say like 210 years. Either way, decades. They've been in Egypt a long time. <clears throat> but the back end of that being in Egypt was harsh slavery, right? Okay? All this generation knows is being a slave. They've never known anything else. That's all they know. So let me, let me throw you a little, little uh, modern-day example of this. We have, a modern, unfortunately, a modern-day example of this. Uh, when America had slaves, right? So we had slaves. Abraham Lincoln comes along, sets people free. But here's the problem. If all you've ever known is slavery, then freedom becomes its own slavery. Like, if all you've ever known is being a slave to somebody, what happens when all of a sudden you're set free? You have nothing. 
You haven't gone to school like everybody else. You haven't built up wealth like everybody else. You haven't purchased property like everybody else. You haven't been influential like everybody else, right? So now you're set free. And what begins to happen, as we've seen, is that the, the people who were never slaves keep growing and growing and growing and getting better and better and better and you know richer and richer or whatever. And because this group of people started way down here, there's, a, there, there's never a, an, an equality, which is what the past couple of years has been a cry for, right? And so there, there's, there's this mentality that freedom brings about, which is the fact that all you've ever known is slavery. Now, I want you to hear, I want you to think about this. We think, we think, because this is penal substitution atonement theory area, we think that God brought them out into the wilderness, and then here's what God said. Let me tell y'all something. I'm going to give y'all these rules, and you better keep them. And if you don't, I'll kill you. No? God brings them into the wilderness. They don't know what it means to be human. They've been treated like garbage their whole life. They don't know what it means to be a human being. God brings them into the wilderness, and we have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. All of that stuff is to say, you should do this. You should do this. You should not do this. You should not do... Why? Because Yahweh in love is teaching them who they really are, which is human, not slave. That's why we have Leviticus. Is not God saying, oh, I'm... I'm ready to bring the hammer. No, it's God saying, you only know slavery. Let me teach you how to be human. On this day, do this. On this day, do this. On this day, you've got to rest. They've never known rest. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Not because if you don't rest on the Sabbath day, I'm going to kill you, but because you've never known what rest is, so I'm going to have to teach you how to rest. Right? I mean, we, we've got this all backwards. So they're out in the wilderness. They come to the mountain, and all of a sudden, Yahweh is setting up a marriage ceremony at the mountain where a bunch of slaves are standing. They, in, in, in just a few chapters, have gone from beaten because they don't produce a certain amount of bricks, Right? to in the wilderness marrying the God of creation. No wonder they lost their ever-loving minds. We would too, and we do. I, have you ever thought about this? Imagine this. What if you and I, for 400 years, every generation was slaves? And I'm not talking about like, like you know, hey, you need to do this. I'm talking about you produce things that you can't ever possibly produce and you get beaten at the end of the day because you don't produce what you actually could never produce. For 400 years, what would happen if at the end of that 400 years, suddenly somebody came in and said, you know what, you're free. Takes the shackles off and you run out the door. And all of a sudden you see a car driving by. I've never seen a car before. What? But you know, I'm, this is a modern example. Do you, but you know what I'm saying? Man, I'm hungry. All I've ever known is somebody fed me. 
we should go back to Egypt. At least we had food. Right? So, so they're at the mountain, and Yahweh is setting up this marriage covenant with a bunch of slaves. And then I'm going to teach you this next week. In the Ten Commandments are absolutely not what any of us have ever thought they are. But he brings them in. He calls to Moses, who is a spiritual father. And here's why it's so important to have a spiritual father and mother. It's because Moses was not ever, if I could, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for this. Moses was never supposed to be God's mouthpiece for them. Moses was supposed to be a spiritual father for them. They made Moses the mouthpiece for God because they were too afraid to approach God themselves. It was never supposed to be Moses is going to talk to God and then he's going to come talk to y'all. It was always supposed to be God's going to talk to y'all. And Moses was in place to be a spiritual father to make sure that they, a bunch of slaves, kept going in the direction of being human again. Right? So, you, so you're not in this room so that you can hear me tell you what the Lord has to say today. You're in this room so that I, as a spiritual father, can make sure you're not turning to the right or to the left, but you're staying on track in what it means to be human again. Amen, brother. That's amazing. Okay. So if this uh, cable keeps falling out of my clip, I'm going to probably uh, thunder and lightning myself. Um, so Moses goes up to God. The Lord calls to him. Y'all good? I know it's been a while, but y'all gonna have to hang because I ain't stopping. The, the Lord calls to him, and here's what he says. He says, you've seen what I did in Egypt. Okay? If you fully obey and keep my covenant. Now again, see it from the other way around. What is he saying? If you if you, if you submit to the process of me bringing you back into what it means to be you again, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possessions. And he says, but, just to make it look, the entire earth is mine. But you are going to play a special role. You're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. How do man, 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 man? Do you remember what I taught you in Luke 15? Luke 15, okay? There's the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, okay? Remember what I taught you? None of those are an issue of ownership. They started at home and ended at home. They started with the same owner and ended the same owner. None of those, Jesus says, are an issue of ownership. 100% of those are an issue of placement. They have, the ownership's not in question. Their order or placement is. So the lost coin is not where it should be. That doesn't mean it's changed owners. It just means it's not where it should be. How does the father react to something when it is lost? Turns over the entire house until he finds it. Why? Because it's his, not the devil's. 
Lord, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. God says, let me just make one thing. The whole earth is mine. Okay, if the whole earth is his, how much of the earth is the devil's? None. And be careful. Be real careful. Because we think we're evangelizing the world by winning people from the devil to God. Nope. Ownership's not a question. We're evangelizing the world by waking them up that they're actually at home. That their ownership was determined before they ever took a breath. That's, that's what we're doing. When did evangelize? Th- like the, the devil apparently owns 96% of the globe, which is heretical. Like, it's not just wrong morally. I mean, that's, that's the thing that people, well, you're just approaching this morally. I should be able to approach this morally and it still line up, just to be clear, right? But Because the devil didn't give us morals. The, but, but if this is right... Okay? If the thinking that we have today is right, that means the devil owns 96% of the world's population since history started. Trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of people, and God owns four. So what we're doing is we're trying to get people from team devil to team God. No, there's only one team. There's only one team. Why do we say things like, the de- we just saying it, Egypt, right? Death is swallowed up forever by the fury of his love. So some of y'all are like, praise God, amen. Hold up. Death is, bro, that's a swallowed up forever. If death is dead, how can something dead own anything? All right, that just felt good to say. Some of y'all are mad. That's all right. I've never in my, listen, in the South, I've never in my life seen people more mad over the love of God ever in my entire life. People hate it. People hate the love of God around here. Hate it. Brother, you, 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 uh, you take some power from the devil, we'll, we'll call you a heretic. All right. Bless, the blessed hope, this, this is because their blessed hope is the rapture. I'm t- the Bible, New Testament says the Christ in us is the hope of glory. Not the rapture. The rapture's not even in the Bible, actually, but anyway. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, before I get too far. <clears throat> I told you, when it's three weeks, I start just, you know, saying. Although, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Who are priests? Priests are the ones that mediate between God and man. So here's what God's saying. The whole earth is mine, but you, Israel, are going to be the mediator to tell the rest of the world that they are mine. I'm going to make you the kingdom of priests so that I can meet with you in such a way that the whole earth knows that it's designed to be met with me too in that same way. What does the New Testament call all people who are in Christ? A royal what? Priesthood. Do you see this? He, he says, he says, the whole earth is mine, but you're going to be for me a kingdom of priests. And those are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So he goes to the Israelites and he says, Hey, slaves, guess what? Great news, amazing news. I spoke to God. He wants to marry you and he wants to make you his mouthpiece for the rest of the globe. 
Amazing news. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to spend three days, and we're going to consecrate ourselves. Now, what, what it, essentially, what he's saying is, we're going to take three days, and we're going to make sure you're ready for this. Because y'all ain't ready. There's got, there's got to be some order in how we do things. We're going to wash clothes, and all of this in Hebrew is symbolic, but have them wash their clothes and be ready for the third day. What, right? What, what, what's the third day represent? Hello. None of y'all. Resurrection. 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 Lord. All right. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. And he says, put limits around the mountain so that they won't come up to the mountain. If they do, they will die. But only when the ram's horn sounds are they to approach the mountain. So he doesn't say they're not to approach the mountain. He says they're not to approach the mountain until the ram's horn sounds. Now, why is that significant? Seems really random. The word for the ram's horn, the word for ram, is the Hebrew word yobel. Okay? And it has two meanings, but one primary meaning. And it's not ram. Do you know what the primary meaning is? Jubilee. Why is that significant? Because on the year of Jubilee, what is the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee is when all land is returned to its original owner, all slaves are set free, and every debt is canceled. The year of Jubilee. What signals the year of Jubilee is the blast of the ram's horn. <laughs> I feel, I, I literally, I'm just shaking right now. Y'all good? Okay. So he says, you are not to come to the mountain until the reality of Jubilee has been made known. Slaves. You are not to approach the mountain until the slavery within you has been dealt with. After Moses had gone down to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, washed their clothes, told them to prepare themselves, abstain from sexual activity. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder, there was lightning, there was a thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. There it is, the ram's horn. The ram's horn blast, the jubilee blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. They stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. Amazing moment. And then the Lord comes in. It's, it's really um, odd. If you read this next section, it almost seems random. Okay? Because he tells them to consecrate themselves. Let me sit down. He tells them to consecrate themselves. Apparently, they've done that. The trumpet blast, so, so they should have done that. Let's just say that. The trumpet blast, Moses says, let's go. They're all going up to the mountain. And then out of nowhere, we get this. The Lord descends. He calls to Moses. Moses goes up, and the Lord says to Moses, go down and warn the people so they don't force their way through to see the Lord, or many of them will perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Really, really odd, okay? Really odd. I thought they were supposed to consecrate themselves before this. But the Lord is saying, go tell them not to force their way up because they'll die. 
and go to the priest and say, you need to consecrate yourselves too. What is the Lord saying? The Lord is saying that what needed to be consecrated had not been consecrated effectively. He's saying, you need to go down and tell them they have not changed their minds. They still got slavery running rampant in them, and if they force their way into something before they have dealt with the slavery within them, it will kill them, even the priest. I mean, this is, this is, this is I mean, massive, okay? So the Lord tells them to consecrate themselves one time, and they don't do it. Or at least they do it very ineffectively. Then they start trying to force themselves into something that they, what is the wrong thing, right? The right thing in the wrong season. It's the wrong thing. So they try to force their way into what they have heard they are designed for, which is to go meet with the Lord on the mountain. But the Lord says, you're to meet with me on the mountain after consecrating the slavery within you. They refuse to deal with the slavery within themselves and instead try to force their way into what they heard. This is so many young people today that they will hear correctly the word of the Lord, but instead of going through the process that would bring them into the fulfillment of the word of the Lord, they try to force their way in without submitting to the process that they were designed to submit to before they're ready to receive what the Lord spoke. This is primarily an issue of spiritual fathers. The Lord speaks, listen, the Lord spoke this church to me and the, the first thing I did was I went and found five spiritual fathers. And I went to one of them and I said, this is what the Lord has spoke to me, but if you tell me I'm not ready for it, I will not do it. And he, he said I was ready for it and released me into it and helped pay the first part of this. But do you see them? There, there is an order to this. Moses, a spiritual father, comes in and he says, the Lord's going to talk to us, but the first thing that's got to happen in your life is you get rid of what you just came from. And they say, all right, cool. And they spend three days lollygagging, and when the trumpet sounds, they start walking up the mountain like, that's what Moses said, let's go. And Moses said, no, 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 no. If you come up this mountain without dealing with Egypt first, it's going to kill you. Therefore, you're going to have to stay back. Are y'all are y'all good? Okay. Okay. So Moses said to the Lord, "The people can't come up to Mount Sinai because you warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy." Essentially what he's saying is the people aren't holy, so they can't come up the mountain because you said the mountain was holy and they're not holy. Okay, so the Lord replied, fine, just bring Aaron with you. But the priest and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. That is, that is love, okay? That is love. So listen, if, if, if you have a word from the Lord or you have a, a, a prophetic revelation from the Lord or whatever and you try to force your way into it before you're ready, the Lord's going to start working against the very word he gave you until you, you submit to the process of being ready for it. That's called love. 
If I gave Veda the keys to a car right now, that would be hate because she would go kill herself driving it and crashing it. So instead, if she stole my keys out of my pocket, even though one day she's going to drive our car, I would start working against her driving my car because she's not ready for it. And that's called love. So some of you have felt like, man, I just keep trying and trying and trying and trying. And Lord, you spoke this to me, but it seems like all the doors are slamming in my face because you're not ready. That's a, that's a great thing. Because if the Lord released the right thing to you before you were ready, it wouldn't just kill that thing. It would kill you. So Moses went down to the people and told them, and then the Lord gives them these commandments. Now, the placement of this is, is so on purpose, okay? It's not random. The commandments, again, what were the commandments to do? To tell them if they don't keep these, they die? No, God didn't need blood, okay? The commandments were to say, you don't know. What were they, listen, what were they supposed to do in those three days? Consecrate themselves. What was blasting on the third day? The, the ram's horn of jubilee, freedom. They were to leave slavery in the three days so that when the horn of freedom was announced, they could go headlong into it. But they didn't. And the Lord responded by saying, since you didn't go through the process, let me walk you through this slowly. This is how to be human. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or earth or beneath the waters below. You shall not bow to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents and the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations for those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse or miscarry, is actually the Hebrew word, you shall not miscarry the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and in it you shall do no work. Neither you or your son or daughter, male or female servant, nor your animals or foreigner residing in your town. For six days the Lord made the, heaven and made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You're going to rest. You're going to honor your father and your mother. Why? Because that's what it is to be human. So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You're not going to murder. You saw murder in Egypt, but that's not how humans do. You are not going to murder. You're not going to do what you've seen. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You're going to marry somebody and you're going to be faithful to her. That's, how it means, that's what it means to be human. You're not going to steal. You're not going to give false testimony against your neighbor. And you're not going to covet what your neighbor has. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. N none of those are to say, here's my rules, keep them or die. A hundred percent of those are to say, you don't know how to leave slavery, so let me walk with you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I, now, here's how the people respond, though. You ready? 
when they saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we'll die. And Moses said, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. What is sin? Sin is operating out of sorts with who you really are. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from being something other than what you actually are. 21. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud or the thick darkness where God was. And then you go through and you get all the other um, stuff, all the other things. The people were afraid to approach God because slavery had become normal for them. I, let me, I'm going to speak a lot of things that he who has an ear is going to hear and he who does not is not. The Lord came to marry a group of people. And the only rule he had for marrying them was that they not operate as a slave anymore. I don't, God, I don't marry slaves. I don't have slaves. I have human beings in my image and likeness. So he comes to marry them, but they have become so comfortable with their slavery because that's all they had ever known that when the Lord showed up to make them what they were supposed to be, a kingdom of priests, they trembled with fear and told a leader to go speak and talk back and forth between God and them instead. People... If I, if I got the, uh, the, the top preacher in America today, I don't even know who it is anymore, but anyway, the top preacher in America today and put him in this room and I said, preach for an hour, this room will be packed with people who are too afraid to approach the throne of God on their own so instead have to live vicariously through a leader who's approaching the throne of God, maybe. So... They're called to be a kingdom of priests. They are not called to be a bunch of people who listen to Moses. They're called to be a bunch of people who listen to Yahweh. And Moses is called to be a spiritual father to make sure that all they ever do is be a people who listen to Yahweh. Do you, do you see this? It was not. The Lord did not go to Moses and say, I'm on, you're going to be. He, he tells him you're going to be my mouthpiece to Pharaoh. But he doesn't go to Moses and say, you're going to be the one that comes and talks to me, and then you're going to go and talk to the people, but I don't want to talk to the people. No, he says, you go tell the people to get ready because I want to talk to all of them. It was the people that said, nope, Moses, why don't you go talk to God, and we'll stay down here, and while you're up talking to God, we're going to build ourselves a calf and start worshiping it. What they were supposed, listen, I'm, I'm about to really, they were supposed, I believe, I believe they were supposed to be on the mountain with Moses, meeting with God. 
Instead, because they were afraid to, uh, to leave their slavery, because they were afraid to let go of the only thing they ever knew, instead of being on the mountain speaking with God, they're down in the valley building a calf to worship on their own. From what? From the gold they took from where? Egypt. This is see. This is what this is what we have have created in in our system. What we have created is we've created leaders that people live vicariously through, so that they don't have to do anything with the Lord. I, it requires nothing of my life to follow a leader. It requires me to lay down my life to follow the Lord. Right, and so we have we have gotten to the place where we want big leaders with big voices to be the one that speaks on behalf of the Lord to the people, right? And we pack buildings out because that requires nothing of you. You can just show up, listen to me speak, and go home and do absolutely nothing and check the box because you did your religious thing. That's called slavery. That's called Egypt. That's what you did when you were lost. You just didn't show up to church. And most of the time, people don't show up to church now. God, forgot, Lord, forgive me. I didn't mean that. I just came out. Right? And I'm just talking about here. I'm talking about all over America. Like, we, we, it's, we are so enslaved in our freedom that we don't even know it. And we have built empires in the church that are built on funneling money through people who want to live vicariously through somebody else and not do jack squat and call it small groups and volunteering. I'm not against any of those. We do both of those. We have people who volunteer, and we do a smaller group on Tuesday night, which is basically this, because all we got is a small group. But you know what I'm saying? But, but it's, it's vicar- and that's why when that leader inevitably falls... So does everybody else. But if something happened to me, nothing should happen to you. You're not, you should not be living vicariously through me, and most of y'all, thank God, don't. But you're not coming here to hear the new word of the Lord. If I'm off for six months, this church should still be pumping and going. Not because I want to be gone for six months, but because we are a kingdom of priests. We are a kingdom that has consecrated ourselves and so left a slavery mentality that we ourselves approach the cloud and hear the word of the Lord for ourselves. So when we come into the room, and we can do this right now, I can hand the mic to Emily, I can hand it to Julia, I can hand it to Angela, I can hand it to Matt, I can hand it to Tim, I can hand it to any of y'all, and you could come up here and you could do exactly what I'm doing, probably better. All of you. You know why? Because the Lord is building a kingdom of priests in the room. He says, the whole earth is mine. That's not a question. The whole earth is mine. But what I want to do in you is I want to create a kingdom of priests that can go on behalf of me to the world who isn't listening to me and wake them up so that they can be a kingdom of priests as well. Right? So, So I'm up here so that you keep burning, so that you keep hearing the word of the Lord for yourselves. I hope you, this is what Damon Thompson has done for me, is his messages are unbelievable. I can't tell you one thing he's preached on. 
I can tell you some points that have been awesome. But what that man has done for me is he has been somebody that I can look at and say, if he can burn as hot as he is burning, I can burn as hot as I want to burn. And his fire has become permission for my fire. That's it. So I can hear from the Lord all on my own. He can hear from the Lord. And when we get together in groups like this, suddenly all of us are hearing from the Lord. And I'm up here as a father saying, you better not stop burning. But that's it. You're not coming in here to hear the next word of the Lord. You're coming in here to get more wood on the fire. And we've said this stuff before, but this is what the Lord is bringing us into. This is what I'm called the Father. Okay? I have felt out of sorts over the past couple of years in a lot of ways because there has been an expectation for me to be the man that everybody lives vicariously through. Like if I said I'm not going to be here next week, there are some people that wouldn't show up to church next week. If I said I wasn't going to be here next week, there's some people that wouldn't listen to the podcast next week. And, and that, is, that doesn't mean, I mean, that's great. I, I have people I love listening to. That's not an issue. The issue is, is that we refuse to go through the process. I, I'm not up here because I've, I've uh, went to college and I got a degree and I know a bunch of stuff. I did not go to college. I never stepped foot in a college classroom. Never. The only reason I'm up here is because for six years, I've laid in the floor morning in and morning out from 5 a.m. till whenever Veda wakes up and burned. That's it. And that burning has given permission for me to start seeing and hearing some things that, guess what, you can see and hear on a greater level. This is no big revelation. It is. But this isn't something that's coming by way of my intelligence. I don't have intelligence. I didn't go to college. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I mean, that's not a knock on me. But like, this is by way of the Lord, which is permission for you to say, if he can hear that, I can hear that too. So, so, this, so this, is what, this is what this year, Matt, you can go ahead and come up here. This is what this year is going to be. We're going to do, we're going to pray a lot. Like we do, we're going we're gonna to pray a lot more. But we're going to worship. We're going to teach. We're going to do family. But, but I, I said this in a group chat for those of you that saw it. That, let, me, let, me, let me just close this because I'll keep going. Every time I look down, I see a new word I highlighted that I want to teach on. <clears throat> um, the begin, I went back and looked. The beginning of last year, some of you remember this. Um, I taught on, I called it the cosmic temple, okay? And that's where we went through the story of Genesis, the creation account, and, uh, and we looked at how historically that is a, is a temple text, okay? So Genesis 1 is, is uh, the writer, whoever wrote Genesis, is the writer telling us that God was setting up in creation a temple for him to dwell with his people, Okay? So we talked through that. Right at the, the week directly after the last message I did on that was the Lord opening up Romans 5 and Luke 15. God is love. And we spent the entire rest of the year discovering the nature of Abba particularly. So we studied the purpose of creation. We studied the purpose 
and the nature of Abba, Father, Son, and Spirit, God. And the link that connects the two of those together is you and I. And what the Lord, I believe, is sending us into right now is a discovery of who you and I are. Like when I say human being, what does that mean? It means let us make man in our image and likeness. I said this earlier, but this is a piece the Lord has shown me recently I haven't said before. Jesus becoming man is really, really significant for two reasons. And up till this point, I've taught on one of those reasons, okay? Jesus becoming man was significant because we did not know who the Father was. And so Jesus came and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I have come that God might be known, okay? So Jesus came to make the Father, Son, Spirit reality known to us by taking on us. Amazing. That's what we've been studying. But him doing that in the form of man is for another purpose as well, which is not just to show us what God is like, but to show us what we are like. Jesus didn't just come to show us the love of the Father. He did. Jesus came to show us what it looks like to be human. When we are created, what does God say? I just said it. Let us make man in our image and likeness, which means you and I are supposed to be a mirror image and likeness of God. That, that is our design. So Jesus took on humanity while being God. so that in his humanity, we could see God mirrored. And in seeing God mirrored in his humanity, suddenly the lights come on and we realize that's actually what we're supposed to be. We've been discovering what the part of Jesus revealing the Father is. What we're about to discover is what Jesus being man is. And I think we're going to have the best Easter this year ever because we actually know what we're talking about now. But, I mean, this is big stuff. This is big stuff. And I'm, I'm going to ask two things from you. Uh, number one, I'm, I'm going to ask you as a spiritual father in this year, the first, the first space of order in our lives has got to be the family of God. And during COVID, that, I mean, that just got wiped clean. Nobody goes to church anymore. I mean, literally no one goes to church anymore during COVID. The first, I'm gonna ask you, as a spiritual father, we are, we're not gonna become what we're designed to be if you're not present, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to make the family of God what it should be, which is life. I mean, this is, without being in this room with you guys, there, there, is, there is something. Jesus says where two or more are gathered. 
He's in the midst. That does not mean that we don't encounter the Lord on our own. That means that there is a measure of encounter that the Lord reserves for this. So that's number one. And number two, I'm just speaking prophetically. I think some secret places in this room have been struggling lately. And that's, that's not a bad thing. That's, you know, but this, this is the moment to say, one thing I desire, this shall I seek. And, and it, is, it is tough to find that time, but it should not be. I, we, we've got to flip the script. I, I'm not, I, it's, it's not, I can't find time to be with the Lord because I got to work. It's, if, it, if it's anything, it's I can't find time to work because I'm with the Lord. But you know what I'm saying? There should be both. It should be a great balance. That's, that's where order comes in. Like some of y'all gonna have to get up before 10 a.m. Lord, I've never slept till 10 a.m. So, you know, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not bad to sleep in. It is bad if your life is out of order. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like go to bed early, stop playing video games. But, um, or what, I mean, what, video games are fine as long as you're in order, you know, but um, get off social media. Whatever, you know, do whatever you got to do. Get you a flip phone or fun, play snake. But um, the but the secret place, because I, I really, I see this year, I see us having services on a Sunday, on a Tuesday, whatever. I, I see us having services where we do, like we do a lot of times, but, you know, Brandon gets up here and says, man, I feel this burning on me. And he just begins to release what he's been hearing. And then Julia pops up and is like, you know what? that unlocks something in me. And all of a sudden, the kingdom of priests begin to have almost like a council on Sunday where we come together. And all of a sudden, we have spiritual fathers in the room who are not the mouthpiece for the Lord, primarily, but spiritual fathers in the room who are stewarding the flames. That's, that's what I see. That's what the early church did. So let me, um, let me pray. And I don't have some big altar call, but, uh, but I'm, I'm gonna pray over us and then we'll be, we'll be done for today. Lord, I, uh, I honor you for this. Um, I was thinking back over the, the New Year Christmas break and um, man, I, you've just been awakening some dreams that I had when we first started. I remember when we first started this church, I remember laying awake at night and having dreams and visions of us playing one note on a piano and people sprinting to lay in the floor. I, I remember having visions and dreams of people driving into the vicinity of this place or driving into Columbia, South Carolina and things within them that they didn't even know were sick being healed without them even knowing it. I used to dream of Columbia being completely free of homeless people. Not because they've been kicked out, but because they're in their right mind. How many, I mean, how many entrepreneurs, how many business owners, how many, how many pastors and Leaders and dreamers and artists are out there on the streets and the only thing keeping them from being what they're designed to be is a right mind. 
This is what I, I used to dream of the legislation, the legislators getting together at the Capitol and the spirit of the Lord falling in such a way that they couldn't pass anything because they were all laying in the floor. That, that, this, is, this is what I've dreamed of. And I haven't stopped dreaming it. I believe we're closer right now than we have ever been to it. And so I just call those out in Jesus' name. There are people in this room right now, under the sound of my voice, you are the key, some of the keys to those dreams taking place. I believe there are people in this room who hold the keys to the influence of the presence of Yahweh being filled, excuse me, with everything around them being filled with the presence of Yahweh in such a way that it brings its own illuminescence and light that calls people out of the darkness. I mean, I had dreams of five points of us having a building right in the middle of five points and instead of people lining up to go to the bar, they're lining up to come to church. I've had dreams of Columbia being a place where people move because it is so thriving. There are so many things to do here. There's so much business going on here that it becomes a place where people want to live. It's not like that now, but if we could dare see it, it's about to be. So Lord, we just say yes today again. I say yes again. We, we not just us, we have sacrificed so much for this. Because I believed, I believed that there were a handful. That's all I wanted. I said, Lord, if there are a handful who are willing to see what no eye has seen, then we'll risk it all. And we did. So, Lord, I I pray that we will so consecrate our thinking, that we will so lay down our slavery, that we will sprint up the mountain of the Lord to the top to dwell in the cloud. Show us how to be human again this week. It's in your name. Amen.